Good morning and welcome to worship. Today as we gather around the word, the Lord emphasizes for us the privilege that we have to approach him in prayer. Our first reading this morning and the words that will serve as today's sermon text from Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 through 32. So the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very flagrant, I will go down now and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. The two men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham approached him and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous along with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep them away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? You would never do such a thing, killing the righteous along with the wicked, treating the righteous the same as the wicked. You would never do such a thing. The judge of all the earth should do right, shouldn't he? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people within the city of Sodom, then I will spare the entire place for their sake. Abraham answered, See now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it on myself to speak to my Lord. What if there are five fewer than 50 righteous? Will you, really, will you destroy the entire city if the number is five short? He said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, what if only 40 are found there? He said, I will not do it for the sake of the 40. He said, please do not be angry, my Lord, but I will speak again. What if 30 are found there? He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, see now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to my Lord. What if there are 20 found there? He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. He said, please, do not be angry, my Lord, but I will speak just once more. What if 10 are found there? He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. The word of our Lord. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. My dear family in Christ, imagine for a moment that you're Abraham. It has been a day that you will never, ever forget. Unexpectedly, three strangers showed up at your house. You did the right thing. You showed them wonderful hospitality and kindness. You offered them some water to wash. You invited them to get a little rest, and then you prepared and set before them a feast fit for a king. And eventually you came to realize that these three strangers weren't strangers at all. It was actually the Lord and two of his holy angels who had taken on bodily form to come to speak with you. They're at your house. They're having dinner with you, the Lord and two of his holy angels. 
And the Lord tells you that even though you're now in your late 90s, and even though your wife's biological clock has long since stopped ticking, he tells you that about this time next year, you're going to have a son. And your wife Sarah overhears the Lord saying that, and she laughs in disbelief. And the Lord says to her, why did you laugh? And she says, well, I didn't laugh. He says, yes, you did. I think you'd be sweating right about now. And then you walk with the Lord and his two angels as they get up to leave, and the Lord says right out loud that he's well aware of the wickedness that's taking place in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's going to go and look into the matter and knows that it's time for him to do something about it. It becomes obvious to you that the Lord is thinking about destroying the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you do? Do you think to yourself, well, kind of a shame, but he's God. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. He knows best. Or do you think to yourself, well, you know, it's about time, Lord. The kind of brazen wickedness and unrepented sin that's going on there in Sodom and Gomorrah has disgusted me for a long time. So it's, it's about time they, they pay for that. Or do you maybe think to yourself, well, some time ago I gave my nephew Lot first choice of the farmland, and he chose the best farmland right there by Sodom and Gomorrah, left me with some less impressive farmland, so I guess Lot's going to get his comeuppance. Nope. Not Abraham. Abraham dares to start bargaining with the Almighty. And in so doing, he speaks a, a beautiful prayer, the kind of prayer that can teach us a few important lessons about our own prayer life. And so today, as we take a closer look at these words from Genesis 18, let's learn those lessons. Lord, teach us to pray like Abraham. Praying like Abraham, first of all, means to pray unselfishly. Sometimes the Lord's ways are beyond tracing out. We don't understand what he's doing or why he's doing it. Other times, like here, the Lord makes his plans very obvious. He flat out told Abraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very flagrant, I will go down now and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. And maybe you're thinking to yourself now, wait a minute, doesn't God know everything? Of course he does. So, no, it's not that God was going to visit those cities for a fact-finding mission. He tips his hand, maybe for a couple of reasons. Maybe, for one thing, he wants Abraham and us to know that when he acts, his ways are always right and they're always just, even when we don't understand them. Or maybe it's that the Lord tipped his hand to Abraham because he wanted Abraham to plead for the righteous people living there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's just what Abraham did, of course. He, he prayed for the population of these two very wicked cities, and Abraham asked the Lord to spare them, wicked though they were, if the Lord could find at least 50 righteous people living there. 
Notice that Abraham doesn't pray for himself. He doesn't pray for anything for his wife, Sarah. Remember that Abraham now is praying for people who have thumbed their nose at the will of God. People who were caught up in in brazen immorality and unrepented sin. And yet Abraham prays this wonderfully unselfish prayer. He says, Lord, spare them. Think about some of the things that you've prayed about over the course of the last few weeks. Were most all of your prayers exclusively about you and yours? Now, that's not wrong. God wants us to pray for ourselves. He wants me uh, to pray for my wife and our children and our grandchildren. He certainly wants me to pray for all of you, people who are part of my spiritual family. But should our prayers end there? What about everyone else? What about them? out there. Would it occur to you to speak to the Lord a prayer on behalf of gang members who run the streets of our nation's cities? Have you ever prayed for all the inmates at Oakland County Jail? What about that obnoxious guy at work who shows up every Monday morning without fail and brags about how drunk he got over the weekend and all the immoral things that he did? Kids, when's the last time that you prayed for another child who was being mean to you? In our second reading this morning, the Lord urged us to pray for kings and all those who are in authority. When's the last time you prayed for a politician? especially one you didn't vote for, instead of just complaining about them. Pray for other people. Let's never figure to ourselves, I'm not going to pray for them, they don't deserve that. Neither do we. As Abraham prays for the perverse citizens of these two cities, as he begs the Lord to spare the wicked for the sake of just a few righteous, may we remember this, that God in his mercy and grace spared a world full of wicked sinners like us for the sake of one righteous man. The God-man, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, has purified you from all of your sin. Let the undeserved compassion that God has shown to you lead you to show unselfish compassion in your prayer life. Pray unselfishly like Abraham. And a second lesson that we learn from him is to pray humbly. Do you notice that about Abraham's prayer? He doesn't look at the Lord swelling with pride and say, well, Lord, you've got to be somewhat impressed with someone like me who's remained faithful to you in spite of the fact that I'm living among people of such open and obvious immorality. I mean, look at me, Lord, loving you and serving you and trusting you. What does he say instead? Verse 27, I am but dust and ashes. Abraham admits that he is standing in the presence of the Most High, Immortal, Eternal God and that he is just a mere mortal, dust and ashes. Twice, Abraham humbly pleads, please, do not be angry, my Lord. 
And he acknowledges just how much mercy the Lord has shown to him that the Lord would bother to listen to his prayers. What a beautiful, humble attitude. Abraham understood that our prayers are based on God's mercy. They are not based on our merit. Prayers that God loves to hear are ones that flow from humble hearts. Do yours? Or sometimes is there a hint of, well, Lord, you owe me one this time because I've been so faithful to you. Or is there ever a hint to your prayers of, Lord, look, here's what I think you need to do for me. Sometimes do our prayers have a bit of an edge to them because we're frustrated that God hasn't yet done what we've asked him to do and we're getting a little tired of waiting on him so patiently? Pray humbly. When we pray, let's recognize that we come before the Lord our God as beggars. When we come to him in prayer, we're asking him for undeserved favors and kindnesses. In fact, we're asking for the Lord to do for us the very opposite of what we deserve. Which is precisely, my friends, why we pray our prayers in Jesus' name. You know, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. What's that all about? That doesn't mean that we just throw in that phrase in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer like some kind of a a magic formula. He rather means that we pray our prayers trusting firmly in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, recognizing that it's only because of what Jesus has done for us that we have the right and the privilege to approach our God in prayer. You know, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So look at it like this. Our sins have put up a, 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 wa- a wall, a, a barrier between us and our God. And so our prayers can't get through to him because of that wall of sin that just, that just bounced back to us. But Jesus Christ broke down that wall of sin with that spiritual bulldozer called the cross. He took away our sins, and in so doing, he threw open the doors to God's throne room in heaven. And now we may pray to him as boldly and as confidently as little children ask their parents. In our gospel reading, you heard Jesus saying this, keep knocking and it will be open to you. Friend, you can dare to knock on heaven's door when Jesus goes along with you, when he resides in your heart through faith as Lord and Savior. Then when the Heavenly Father opens the door, Jesus can say, Heavenly Father, answer this prayer, not for the sake of the sinner, but for the sake of me, that sinner's Savior. Pray humbly. Pray for God's will to be done. Pray believing that he knows far better than we what and how and when to answer. Pray like Abraham. Pray humbly. And finally, Abraham teaches us to pray persistently. 
Abraham's prayer was nothing if it wasn't persistent. In fact, he really offers up six prayers back to back. First, he asks for the cities to be spared for the sake of 50 righteous people, then 45, then 40, then 30, then 20, and finally 10. Abraham's attitude in prayer certainly reminds us of what Jesus taught us about praying in today's gospel reading, using an example of a man who keeps on knocking on the door and and bothering his friend and prays and knocks persistently until finally that friend caves in and grants his request. Pray persistently. But why? Why does the Lord want us to keep on praying and never give up? Well, for the same reason that it doesn't do me much good to get on the treadmill and take one step and then get off of it. I want to benefit from that time. I need to make many steps on that treadmill to get the exercise that we need. Prayer is like a spiritual treadmill. Prayer is you exercising your faith. God doesn't need our prayers, but we need to pray them. Now, of course, there are those who would say, well, God knows everything and he already has everything planned out, so why should we pray? Because what's going to happen is going to happen anyway. So let's deal with that. It's true that God does know all things. It's true that God does have a plan. But did you notice here? Did you notice that the Lord allowed himself to be overcome by the prayers of Abraham? Changing his course of action each time bending his will according to what Abraham prayed. Think about this. The Bible demonstrates that God actually condescends to take our prayers into account as he rules over all things in our lives and in this world. For instance, after that golden calf incident, the Lord had freed the Israelites from the slavery in Egypt. They're there at the foot of Mount Sinai. And while Moses is up meeting with the Lord, he comes down to find God's people worshiping a golden calf that they had made. And the Lord says, Moses, stand aside. I'm going to destroy these people right here and now. Moses pleads for the people. He pleads for God to forgive them. And in response, the Bible says that God relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. In the Old Testament, King Hezekiah was going to die, but then he prayed, and in response to his prayer, God graciously added 15 more years to his life. James chapter 5 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James chapter 4, the Lord says, the reason you do not have is because you do not ask God. Yes, prayers matter. So let's pray persistently. Let's pray often. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So did it work? Well, I guess you'd technically have to say that God didn't grant Abraham's request, at least not in the way that Abraham had requested it. Because sadly, the Lord never did find even ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. But that gracious God, true to form, went above and beyond. He did destroy the city, but mercifully spared Abraham's nephew Lot and his family. 
Believer, understand that your prayers are powerful and effective. Your God not only invites you to pray, but calls on you to pray, and he loves to hear your prayers. Let that fact move us to pray more often, to pray more boldly. May the Lord's grace and his unmatched mercy move you to pray like Abraham, to pray unselfishly and humbly and persistently to the God of all grace. Amen.